This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hello, this is Richard Ingebretson from the University of Utah School of Medicine. We thank you, as always, for listening to this AWLS podcast series. It stands for Advanced Wilderness Life Support, and is used by many people who are studying wilderness medicine, people from all walks of life and people interested in going to the backcountry. Thank you for uh, dialing in. We're also encouraging you to go to our webpage, www.wildmedu.org, and on that site you can see all the programs uh, for you to uh, study uh, wilderness medicine from. The resources are free, including this podcast. Today we're going to talk about something you know about, uh, but don't know exactly what it is or maybe how to quantify it. Uh, The best example I can give is that you are... um, in uh, the spring or maybe the fall, it's a beautiful day outside. The temperature is nice. It's not hot and it's not cold. It's just cool, but you're enjoying it. And then the wind blows. And you go, oh, my gosh, I just wish the wind weren't blowing. And in that case, you would think, oh, my gosh, uh, I feel colder. I feel chilled. Uh, that, that experience of having the temperature change because of the wind is uh, a common thing. Uh, it's it's well known and well described. Most people call it the wind chill or the wind chill factor. Understanding it and understanding how it works has huge ramifications for the treatment of hypothermia, frostbite, and heat uh, illnesses uh, when you're in the backcountry. Uh, to understand the wind chill factor or to, uh, whatever we may end up calling it by the end of this discussion is to understand the physics of heat and heat transfer. The most important thing to know about heat is uh, something kind of uh, curious to say, and that is that there is no such thing as cold. We use that term all the time, but in science, it, it doesn't have the, the meaning or the definition as heat does. Heat is energy, and if you're talking about cold, then it's just going to be uh, less energy or even very, very low energy. Uh, energy is molecules uh, bouncing and vibrating around, and as they move and vibrate, they always move in a direction to molecules that aren't moving very much. So if you have something that is hot and you put it in contact or near something that has less uh, molecular action, the heat, that energy, will transfer from higher energy to lower energy action, or in other words, from something that is hot or warm to something that is cool or cold. Heat will always move in that direction from hot to cold. Even though we say keep the cold out or keep the cold in, we're actually going to be saying keeping the heat from moving from hot to cold. If you understand that, then you can keep somebody cool or you can keep somebody hot as needed. Now, the question that people often ask then is how is that heat transferred? In other words, you have energy. How is it moved? Well, uh, a long time ago, they kind of figured this all out, and in some interesting studies that were done, And they came across three specific ways, and only three specific ways, that heat is transferred. The first is through touch. If you literally touch something, heat is going to be transferred from something hotter to cold. What does that mean, touch? Exactly what you're doing now, sitting on a chair or you're laying on a a desk or your feet are touching the ground. Anytime you touch something, uh, heat is going to go from you to something else or from any object to something else. 
Our body is typically about 37 degrees centigrade or about 99 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Most of where we are on the planet Earth, the temperature is cooler. What that means is, is heat is always leaving our body as we heat up the Earth's atmosphere. Not very much, mind you, but we do. And the first way we, do, uh, we can do that is just by touching things. Now, we give off heat just by radiating it, and that's the second way, radiation. This is through electromagnetic waves, and the heat is then transferred away from us. The third way that heat is transferred is through wind, through molecular action. That is, if you blow uh, heat from, a, from one warm place to a cooler place, then heat is transferred. That is called convection. So it is uh, radiation, uh, conduction, and convection are the ways heat is transferred. There is a fourth way that we're going to mention that is not a, uh, in and of itself its own way, and that is evaporation from our skin. It literally uses all three of those ways. Sweat or water gets on our skin, our body heats it up, and by the, uh, the evaporation process and the wind blowing across that, heat is transferred away from our body, but it uses convection, conduction, and radiation. It turns out that with the wind chill factor, we're talking about convection or wind. And the rate of convection depends upon both the te uh, de difference in temperature between the surface of the uh, fluid surrounding it and the velocity of the fluid with respect to that surface. Air is a fluid. As the convection from a warm surface heats the air around it, a very, very thin insulating boundary layer of warm temperatures against the surface uh, is created. Moving air disrupts this boundary layer, uh, and scientists and people studying this call it an epiclimate, allowing for cooler air to replace the warm air against the surface. The faster the wind speed, the more readily the surface will cool, and that is why when you're standing outside on a cool day and the wind blows, you feel cold. And you will feel colder if the wind is faster. Many, many formulas through the years have been created to calculate the wind chill because unlike temperature, wind chill has no universally agreed upon standard definition or measurement. So that means uh, that uh, all of the various formulas that are used here and there uh, really try to uh, qualitatively predict the effect of wind on the temperature humans perceive. So uh, it's not a measurement of the body temperature, it's more of a perception. Weather services in different countries are going to use different standards unique to the country or to the region. For example, in the United States and in Canada, weather services use a model that has been accepted and provided by the National uh, uh, Weather Service, although it's been evolved over time. It really started uh, some time ago uh, by Paul Allman Sippel and Charles Passell working in the Antarctic before the Second World War. And then it was made available for the National Weather Services in 1970. These were based on the cooling rate of a small plastic bottle as its contents turned into ice while it was suspended in the wind on the expedition hut roof at the same level as the way they were able to measure uh, uh, temperature. Uh, this so-called wind chill index provided a pretty good indication of the severity of the weather. Uh, uh, that changed a little bit, and then it began to be reported as what uh, was called the wind chill equivalent temperature. It's sometimes used still. You'll see it listed as WCET, which is theoretically less useful, however. I think uh, where that change happened, it's not really no, 
known, but it uh, it was defined as the temperature at which the wind chill index would be the same as the absence of wind. And uh, this led to the uh, equivalent temperatures that exaggerated the severity of the weather, and so it was kind of abandoned. So the scientific and mathematical mo models were being uh, sort of uh, modeled and changed over time. Uh, the equivalent temperature was not universally used in North America until the 21st century. Until the 1970s, the coldest parts of Canada reported the original wind chill index, which uh, a three or four digit number with the units of kilocalories per hour per square meter. Each uh, individual calibrated the scale of the numbers personally through experience. The chart also provided general guidance to comfort and hazard through threshold values of index such as 1400, which was the threshold for a frostbite. Then it was in 2001 that Canada, United States, and the United Ken Kingdom implemented a new wind chill index developed by scientists and experts uh, then. It is determined by iterating a model of skin temperature under various wind speeds and temperatures using standard engineering correlations of wind speed and heat transfer rate. Heat transfer was calculated for a bare face in wind facing the wind while walking into it at 1.4 meters per second. That is about 3.1 miles per hour. The model corrects the officially measured wind speed to the wind speed at face height, assuming the person is in an open field. And that is just how technical that all those numbers are uh, sort of have become. Um, in Australia, they did what was called the apparent temperature, which was invented in the late 1970s and was designed to measure thermal sensation in uh, indoor conditions. It was extended in the early 1980s to include the effect of sun and wind. Uh, that It is called the AT index, and it's used here as based on a mathematical model of an adult walking outdoors in the shade. Uh, the AT is defined as temperatures at the reference humidity level, producing the same amount of discomfort as that experienced under the current ambient temperatures uh, and uh, humidity. So this Australian model... Uh, actually includes the important factor of humidity and is somewhat more involved than the simpler North American model. The North American formula was designed to be applied at low temperatures when humidity levels are also low. The hot weather version of the AT is used by the National we Weather Service in the United States. In the United States, the simple version of the AT is just simply known as the heat index. And just remember that the heat index is used for higher temperatures, whereas cooler temperatures are used for uh, use the um, uh, wind chill factor. I'm often asked the question, uh, what part of our body do we uh, lose the most heat? And people say, well, of course, it's the head. But I, I always have to ask the question, uh, the wind chill factor, the heat index, is this, uh, when does it apply? It has to be on bare skin. If you have a coat on, gloves on, a hat on, and you have pants on, leggings on, and boots on, you're not going to lose much heat. So the wind chill uh, it effect is on an open uh, open uh, skin. So standing uh, out uh, on a outside, if you have no clothes on, then the heat is going to be where most of the blood vessels are all over your body, the greatest surface area, not just your head. So the next time you're outside and you say, "Is most of the heat leaving my body?" Yeah, it's going to come out of your head when you have clothes on, especially if you have pants, coats, gloves, and everything else, because that will keep uh, the heat in. And that is something uh, important to remember as you try to shield, shield yourself from the cold. You have to remember convection, conduction, and radiation because if you protect yourself from the wind, 
uh, and from uh, keeping radiation in and not touching things other than the warm clothing you're surrounded in, you're going to keep heat uh, in your body. So we've all felt the, the, uh, the effects of this wind chill and whatever chart that you're using wherever in the world, uh, in the end, it's, it's a subjective rating in how you feel. All of us know that when the wind blows, you feel cooler. So wind chill is a term used to describe what the air temperature feels like to the human skin due to the combination of cold temperatures and wind blowing on exposed skin. In simple terms, the colder the air temperature and the higher the wind speeds, the colder it will feel on your skin uh, if you're outside. We're often asked, are these effects real? Is the wind chill actually lowering the temperature? Yes, it is. It's an effective temperature. If you measure the actual temperature of the, of the air in the wind, it will be whatever you measure. But the actual effects on the skin are that, if it were much, much colder. And that means that when the wind is blowing and you're in cold temperature, that means you have to be all the more careful to stay warm to keep heat uh, inside your body. Well, this ends this podcast. A simple discussion of the wind chill, the wind chill index, the AT, and the other charts and measurements that we use to measure cold when we go in the backcountry. And as always, we say thank you for listening. Thank you.